Well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles while I'm turning in mine to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is going to be our text this morning. Uh, So hopefully you have your copy of God's Word in whatever form that you have it. Uh, You're at home, so maybe you got your print Bible or maybe you've got your iPhone or iPad or whatever it might be. But I invite you to turn to John chapter 15 with me this morning. We are still in our series, Captivated by Jesus. And this morning, we're, we're looking and we're answering the question, how do true disciples change? How do true disciples change? Now, by way of getting us into the text, uh, I'm going to read uh, the first bit of it here, and then we'll pray, and we'll go on in our message. Verse 1 says, chapter John chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends and if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And we'll stop there for now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to come to open your word and and to learn from it, Lord. And we ask this morning, God, that you would captivate us Captivate us so that we would be disciples who, who truly change, God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the word fruit, as you notice as we read through that, comes up a lot in John chapter 15. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I love fruit. My kids, they're, they're really into candy. And, and what, really, what kid is not into candy? I mean, certainly most kids are into candy. I know when I was a kid, I was certainly into candy. And, but in an effort to, to help them eat more fruit, I often tell them, you know, fruit is nature's candy. And, you know, they, sometimes they bite on that. Sometimes they don't. They laugh at me, haha, And then they run and they, they go and get their Snickers or whatever it is that we've got in the pantry for them. Now, one of the places that you can go and get some amazing fruit is Central Market. And so if you're in Dallas or Fort Worth, I mean, it is definitely worth your time to run by Central Market, to walk through the fruit section. There's always some samples in there uh, and, and, you know, get some amazing fruit. When I lived in Dallas, I would go to Central Market 
you know, quite often do that, walk around, get some samples, and I'd certainly be tempted to buy because that's exactly what they want you to do. And my taste buds certainly thanked me for it, but, but my wallet did not. If you want some good fruit, it costs a premium. Now, now why I enjoy some good fruit, and maybe you do as well, that is not the type of fruit that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Instead, Jesus is talking about the fruit that we produce as disciples. And fruit in the Bible is connected to action. It's connected to to character. And one of the places that that fruit is defined is in Galatians chapter 5. And there we learn the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And alongside these actions, alongside these character traits, we can add, you know, being obedient to God's word or, or loving one another self-sacrificially or uh, glorifying and worshiping God, witnessing to others about God so that they might come to faith in Christ. These and, and many other things would be considered the fruit of the Christian life. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, these fruits, they, they don't come natural to us. We aren't naturally patient and kind and gentle and, and self-controlled. We don't naturally seek God's glory over our own. We aren't naturally obedient to God's word or desire to be obedient to God's word. These things don't come natural to us. And so how? You know, how, how, does a, uh, how can a selfish person become unselfish? How can an aggressive person become gentle? How can an impatient person become patient? How can a whiner become a giver? How can a warrior experience joy and and peace in their life? How does this change take place in us? Well, you might think that the self-help book self-help section of your local bookstore or or now maybe bookstores are closing down a lot and so you go to Amazon and and you type in self-help and all these books come up or maybe you take it a step further and and you hire yourself a life coach and you might experience change as you as you press into these avenues but but these books and coaches can only offer you mechanical change right here here's a technique here's some principles to apply to your life or they might offer you moral change, work these virtues into your life. Or they might offer mystical change. You know, tap into this secret power and you will realize your dreams. Many people go down these routes, but that's not the type of change that the Bible is offering us here. That's not the type of change that Jesus is talking about here. That is not how we produce true fruit. Jesus is not calling us to use secular techniques. He's not calling us to traditional morality, nor is Jesus calling us to practice new age spirituality. No, Jesus is not calling us to any of those things. Instead, Jesus is calling us to himself. And so how do true disciples change? Well, let's look at the text. In verse one, we are drawn into another world. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, this is the seventh of, of Jesus' I am statements that we've seen as we walk through the Gospel of John. And, and this statement here, it, it takes us into the world of the vineyard. And the vineyard was a, a commonplace you know, area thing that, that, that took place all the time. There are vineyards all over the place in, in biblical history and in Jesus' day, which, which makes this really an apt illustration. Jesus is connecting with the people and providing them with an illustration that, that they would be very familiar with. And the analogy and the metaphor of the vine and the, and the vineyard, it actually occurs regularly throughout biblical history. As you read through God's word, this, this comes up often. 
In several passages, Israel is actually referred to as a vineyard. And I believe that's what Jesus has in mind when when he says that he is the true vine. He has in mind Israel and the statements that that are made against them. You see, Jesus is actually beginning to set up a contrast between himself and Israel. The fruit that Israel produced was was not good fruit. If you look at the book of Isaiah and specifically in in, uh, chapter five and verse four, we learn that the fruit from Israel's vineyard was wild grapes. And as a result in verse seven of, of Isaiah five, there was injustice, there was bloodshed, there was unrighteousness. And they were so bad that that God determined that he would remove his hedge of protection from around Israel. He would allow them to be devoured. He would allow their vineyard to be trampled down, laid waste, desolate, so they would no longer produce any fruit at all. But here comes Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Israel, you're not the true vine. I am the true vine. I am the greater Israel. Those who are connected to me, they're not going to bear wild grapes. Those who are connected to me are going to bear good fruit. And Jesus tells us that the reason that we are going to do this is because this is why he chose us. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so Jesus chose us out of the world so that we might do what? So that we might bear fruit. So that we might change. So that we might become more like him. So that we might glorify the Father. So that we might be used as his instruments to win the loss. So that our prayers, which are in accordance with his will and his character and the glory of God, might be answered. In all of these ways, we bear fruit and we ultimately bring glory to God. And Jesus says our fruit production is is not by accident. Jesus chose us so that we might bear fruit, which means that bearing fruit is not something that that is just, that, that might take place. It is something that is going to take place. If you are his disciple, then you will bear fruit. It's not just a possibility. It's something that is going to happen. This is why Jesus has chosen us so that we might bear fruit. But how? How does that fruit production happen? In other words, how do we change? How do we change from those who who don't bear fruit to those who do bear fruit? First, we bear fruit because the Father is the vine dresser. He is the gardener who removes and prunes us. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I know this is not a one-to-one correlation, but but we have a number of rose bushes that are, you know, in the flower beds around our home. And, And over the years, these rose bushes, they have grown, they have matured into what can only be described as a small tree. And while these, these bushes are large, when we first moved in, they, they, were, not, they were not healthy. Uh, they were overgrown. Half the bush was dead. It looked like they hadn't been pruned back and, and any of the dead limbs and things like that removed from them in years. And so this spring, we, we set to work, you know, getting in there and cutting out those dead limbs and, and pruning back that bush. I mean, it's still pretty tall, but pruning it back as much as we could prune it back and, and while it is certainly those bushes have lost a lot of weight, they are, they are much more healthy. 
And the limbs that remain are producing roses. Whereas if we, we allowed that dead stuff to stay in there and we allowed it just to keep getting overgrown, then, then it, may have, it may have all died. Just like it was necessary for us to remove the dead limbs and it was necessary for us to prune back those rose bushes so that they could continue to produce roses, it is necessary for the Father to do the same with us. We're told in verse two that that he removes those branches that do not bear fruit and he prunes back those that do so that they might bear even more fruit. If God doesn't do this, his disciples, his church will end up being fruitless. And so God comes in and he removes the dead weight. He removes the dead limbs. He removes those that are hindering the church's growth, that are hindering the fruit of those that are there. And then he prunes back those who are his true disciples so that they might grow. You see, Jesus didn't call us to himself for us to be fruitless. No, he called us to himself so that we might bear fruit. And Jesus's church will bear fruit. Jesus will see to that. The Father will make sure of that. He removes that which hinders the growth and fruitfulness and he prunes back those who remain so that they will then bear fruit. Through the process of sanctification, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the Spirit that Jesus and the Father sends. Through the work of the Spirit, through the process of sanctification, we recognize our sin, we end up repenting, we turn from it and we grow and we produce more fruit for Jesus through the refining fire of, of life's difficulties, through persecution, through trials, we end up growing. You see, if you're a believer, the things that happen in your life do not happen in your life by accident, nor do they happen in your life to punish you. They are meant to prune you. They are meant to refine you. They are meant to do that so that you might bear more fruit. This is why we can count it all joy when we face Trials of various kinds, James tells us in his epistle. Right? Those trials, those difficulties, they're not meant to punish us. They're meant to refine us so that we end up bearing more fruit. And so that is the, that is the Father's work in our life. He is the vine dresser. He is the one who removes. He is the one who prunes. But, but Jesus also says that we have a part in our fruitfulness. So let's look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus tells us. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And so here we see another reason why we are able to bear fruit. You see, if we are going to change, if we are going to bear fruit, we must continually abide in Jesus. To return to this rosebush illustration that, that I used just a moment ago, now that, now that we have removed all of those dead limbs, now that we have pruned things back, the, the roses are, are actually growing now. And, and if I were a good, good husband, you know, I'd, I'd go out to the rose bushes from time to time and, and I would cut some of those roses off. I would put them in a vase and I would put them on, on the counter in our house for my, for my wife to, to enjoy. Now, I haven't done that, but that's certainly something that, that I need to do. And so that's why I say if I were a good husband, I would do that from time to time and put those on the counter. Now, let's say I was a good husband. 
let's say I actually did do that, and, and I may go home and do that this afternoon as my wife's going to be coming back from out of town and see some roses there uh, for her. But let's say I actually did that, right? At first, you wouldn't be able to tell much difference between the roses that are on the bush and the roses that are in the vase. They're, they're both going to look pretty similar, except for one's just not going to be on the bush and one's going to be in a vase. But, but give it a week. Give it two weeks. You have some roses sitting around your house for a couple of weeks, and, and those roses, they, they, don't look, they don't look so hot anymore. They're not worth the 50 or 60 or $70 that, that you paid for them at. They've withered up. They're dead. The only thing that is left to do with those roses is just to throw them out. But that's not true of the roses that are on the bush. Say we walked outside and, and we looked at those roses on the bush, they, they would be would be blossoming. They would be thriving. They would be healthy. And that's because they are still connected to the bush. And they're still getting the nutrients that they need in order to grow. And that's the saying with us. If, if our life is going to change, if we're going to be fruitful, then we must be connected to the vine. We must continually abide in Jesus. He is the one who is going to allow us to produce fruit. No one produces fruit apart from Jesus. Now, what does it mean for us then to abide in Christ? Uh, abide means that we would, we would remain in Christ. We would stay in him. We would, we would never move past him. You see, Jesus is not just the entrance into the Christian life. Jesus is the vine. He is the one that we must remain attached to. He is the one that we must never move past. He's the one who provides us with everything that we need for life. And so we must never move past the vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And the branch cannot live apart from the vine. It cannot produce fruit apart from the vine. And so if we want to experience true change, not just, not just change that, 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 you know, you just want to get rid of a couple of, of bad habits or, or, or you want to remove some of those things that make life inconvenient for you or inconvenient for those who are around you, that, that make you unhappy and them unhappy. No, no, I'm talking about true change, not just change that makes life easier for you or more convenient for you or people now, they like you more because you've changed a few things. True change. Change that, that you might not even know that you need. Change that, that if you knew you needed it, you wouldn't ask for it. Especially if you knew how, you were, how that change was going to come about in your life, you would say, no way, I don't want that change to take place. See, if we want true change, character-shaping change, true heart change from the inside out, not, not the outside in, not where we're, we're putting this mechanical things on ourselves, just a few principles to practice here and there. No, true change that changes our hearts so that we then begin to change from the inside out. If we want that type of change, then we must remain in Christ. We must never move past him. We never graduate from Jesus. We never say, hey, I've got Jesus now. Okay, now give me some principles to live by. Give me some of those self-help books so that I might, you know, better myself. Give me a life coach so I can get, get better. You don't need any of that stuff. You need God's word and you need Jesus. You need to remain in him. You need to abide in him. That is how we truly 
change as his disciples. We must trust in him so that he might release us from the bondage of sin. We must trust in him for our salvation, for our sanctification, for our glorification. We must rely on him alone. And we do that through prayer. We do that through the work of the Spirit in our life. We do that by reading God's word. By gathering together with other believers so that we might be encouraged from God's word. In all of these ways, we are abiding in Jesus. We are looking to him. We are looking to his wisdom. We are allowing that to transform us and to shape us. We're allowing him to lead us. Always keeping our eye on him. Always being connected to him. In that way, we will change. If we don't abide in him, then we're going to wither up. And we're going to die like those roses in the vase that have been sitting there for, for two weeks. And instead of experiencing true joy, we're going to experience everlasting punishment. Now, that does not mean that we can somehow lose our salvation, that that we can, at our own will, uh, unhitch ourselves from the vine. Instead, it means that those who want to experience true growth, those who want to produce fruit, must look to Christ. Not to secular techniques, not to traditional morality, not to new age spirituality. They must remain connected to Christ, always looking to him. As well as it means that those who do not produce fruit, even though they might claim to be a Christian, are not connected to the vine. You see, there is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have dry seasons in our life from time to time. I mean, certainly there are going to be dry seasons in our life that Jesus says, you must abide in me. Abide in me and you will produce fruit. There will certainly be times when when we're not abiding in Jesus. There will be times when we we take our eye off of Jesus and we begin to look to the world and, and look to see how the world is doing things and using the techniques and wisdom of the world to try to change things in our life. And in those times, we're going to be, going to be fruitless. There's going to be dry seasons in our life. But there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There's, even though there may be dry seasons, the Lord is going to reach into our life. The Lord is going to, to prune us so that we then might bring our eyes back to Jesus. So that we might then abide in Him and look to Him for everything that we need in life. And then we will begin to produce fruit again. His Father is going to prune us and the Spirit is eventually going to work so that we might repent. And so if you call yourself a Christian and there's been no fruit in your life, there's been absolutely no change in your life, then you need to ask yourself, am I really connected to the vine? Or am I a withered branch that will be burned one day? These are serious questions that you need to ask yourself. If you don't see any fruit in your life at all, if you see no change, if if you're not becoming more like Christ, and you haven't become more like Christ, you just walked down an aisle one day, you raised your hand, you got dunked in a baptistry, and you, you went on thinking, I've got my fire insurance, I'm good to go. There's been no change in your life, no repentance. You need to ask yourself those questions. And you need to be real with yourself. Because chances are you may not be connected to the vine. You see, those whom Jesus has chosen will produce fruit. And so are you producing fruit? 
Are you abiding in Christ? Do you trust in him? Do you seek his wisdom? Do you turn to him when things are difficult? Do you read his word? Do you pray? Do you long to gather with other people? Are you captivated by Jesus? Do you seek to glorify him above everything? Does life in Christ bring you joy? Are you producing fruit? You see, true disciples, they change through the pruning work of the Father and by continually abiding in Jesus. It's not a maybe. It's a reality. True disciples produce fruit. God makes sure of it. Now, all this talk about about change might lead you to think, man, Jesus is just this huge killjoy. I mean, he doesn't want me to enjoy life. He doesn't want me to, to, to experience things in this world. He's just this huge killjoy. He doesn't want me to have any fun. That's simply not true. Producing fruit, changing, being obedient to Jesus does not need to be dead and and cold and, and clinical. Instead, it is meant to produce joy. Abiding in the true vine should produce joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, we were created for the vine. We were created to live according to the Father's commandments and and we were created to live according to God's will. And when we live according to the Father's commandments, when we seek his will truly, when our heart is being changed and transformed so that we love God, so that we are actually captivated by God, that's not just a bunch of principles and external rules that we are trying to keep, but our our hearts are, are truly captivated by him and we are drawn to him and we want more of him we want to drink deeply of him we want to be more and more connected to him see that's what we were created for God is our creator and we are his creation and and he created us with purpose and, and our purpose in life is to glorify God as we talked about a few weeks ago and when we are accomplishing our purpose in life when we're seeking to bring him glory well we experience joy That's what Jesus is getting at here. We were created for the vine. And when that connection is made and we abide in him, then we will experience true joy. Joy that that will not fade. Joy that will transcend any situation that we find ourselves in. Joy that is everlasting. See, when we are connected to the true vine, we are abiding in him, when we are receiving life-giving nutrients, when we are producing true fruit, we will experience true joy. And so if you are looking for joy today, I don't know anybody who doesn't want joy. Everybody wants joy, especially in in the situations in which we find ourselves now. If you want true joy, then we don't turn to the world. We turn to Jesus and and we abide in him. We remain in him. We never move past him. When we do that, we will experience, we will experience true everlasting joy. Not only will abiding in the true vine produce joy, but abiding in the true vine empowers us to continually live on mission despite persecution. To continually live on mission despite persecution. Look at what Jesus says starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. You were of the world. The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And so Jesus is clear. Since the world hates him, the world will hate us. You know, he chose us out of the world, which, which leads the world to hate us. If we are a part of the world, he says, look, the world wouldn't hate you. You'd be good with the world. And this is why we have these folks who, who call themselves Christians, who call themselves pastors and preachers, and, and they're, they're, they're saying the same thing that the world says. And, and the world doesn't hate them. The world holds them up and brings them on talk shows and all of these different things. But Jesus is clear. If you abide in me, then the world is going to hate you. You should not be surprised by that. We are not connected to the world. We are connected to the true vine, which, as we have seen, it, it should change us. And because we are connected to Jesus, because we live different than the world does, the world's natural reaction to us is that they want us gone. You see, just through our life, we can be a witness to the world that there is actually change that takes place in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to speak the gospel, you know. We certainly need to, we need to present the gospel and, and, and the change that the gospel brings in us through our lives. But we got to tell people why that change is taking place because they could come up with all kinds of different reasons why that change has taken place. They might just think that we got a better self-help book than they did at the local bookstore and they might begin asking us about that. Or that we got a better life coach and they want their number or their email address so they can sign up too. So we've got to speak the gospel to them. We got to tell them where this change is taking place. But this change should take place. The world should be able to see that change. And when the world sees that change, they're like, whoa, we don't want to be confronted with this change. We don't want to be confronted with this difference. And so then they begin to persecute us. They begin to try to silence us. But here's the thing. And Jesus tells us this, persecution should not surprise us. It should not catch us off guard. The, the world persecuted Jesus. If we're connected to him, if we're becoming more like Christ throughout our life, we should not be surprised that we end up facing persecution. And because of their persecution, the world might expect believers to withdraw, to be silent, to take their faith underground, but, but that's not what's supposed to happen. We aren't supposed to retreat. We aren't, we aren't to be silent. We aren't to live like monks in a monastery somewhere. Instead, we are to continue to speak the truth, to share the gospel. Look at what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And so empowered by the Holy Spirit, we should live life on mission. And what does it mean for us to be on mission for Jesus? Well, it means that we would live as missionaries right where we are at. It means that we would work to make disciples as we go. As we are going about our day, we are seeking to, to, to tell other people about the life-giving vine, to share the gospel with them. And also we are seeking to train others who, who are connected to the vine with us in righteousness so that they might obey all of what God's word tells them. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And so we are to do that. As believers, we are to live on mission despite the backlash that we face, despite the persecution that we receive. 
Now, it is important to note at this point that, that we don't live on mission in our own power, in our own strength. We live on mission as we are connected to the vine, as we abide in the vine. If we're not abiding in the vine, well, we're gonna, we're gonna push that mission aside because we don't want the persecution. But as we abide in the vine, as the Spirit works in our life, as the Spirit empowers us, then we will live on mission for Jesus despite the persecution that comes. All those who are true disciples, all those who are connected to the vine, they live on mission for Jesus, loving one another and the world around them, even though the world hates us and persecutes us. Only those who are connected to the true vine will actually do that. And so you might look at your life and say, am I living my life on mission? Do I desire to see those around me saved? Do I desire to press into that despite the backlash or the persecution that takes place? It might tell you if you're connected to the true vine. Only those who abide in Jesus, who are connected to the vine, will do that. So if you want to experience true change, you can't, work, you can't run to the world's techniques. Instead, you've got to run to Christ. You must abide in Him. You must be pruned by the Father. That's how we experience true change. That's how we experience true joy. That's how we are empowered to live life on mission. That's how you will change in ways that you didn't even know that you needed to change or ways that you would never ask for. You must abide in Christ, never moving past him, always remaining in him, never looking to the world, but always looking to Christ. If you want to experience true change, change that is not always easy, change that you don't, didn't even know that you needed to take place, change that will produce true joy, then run to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. And continue to abide in Jesus. True disciples experience true change by abiding in Christ. And so if you're a Christian and you're watching this morning, and abide in Jesus. Don't look to the world. Look to Jesus, abide in him, receive the life-giving nutrients of the vine so that you might grow, so that you might change. And if you're watching and, and you would admit that you're not, I'm not a believer, I'm not connected to the vine. And now is an opportunity for you to, to connect to the vine, to turn to him, to confess your sins, to, to repent, and to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus has, has died. Jesus has taken the cup of the wrath of the Father for you on your behalf so that you might be connected to the vine, so that you might grow, so that you might come to know him and experience true joy and everlasting life. And so this morning, turn to Jesus. True disciples experience true change by abiding in Christ. Won't you turn to him today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity to hear your word. And God, we ask that you would help us to remain focused on you, to abide in you, to never move past you, but to always seek you and your word and your spirit and, and prayer that we would be given the life-changing nutrients of the vine, Lord. Help us, God, as we work this out in our life for we know that we can't do it on our own. Lord, Father, we ask also that, that you would prune us. As difficult as that sounds, that you might prune us, Lord, so that we can produce more fruit. 
And Lord, help us to be on mission to reach those around us and those who may not know you this morning, God, as they're watching, Lord, we ask that you would work in their heart, that you would call them to yourself, that you would save them, Lord, so that they might be connected to the vine, so that they might experience true joy, everlasting joy as well. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.